Welcome to Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. I'm a serial entrepreneur and an expert in raising investment and business growth. Our mission at Enter the Arena is to empower female founders to fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business with investment expertise and business coaching. Here we share the stories of inspirational female founders who've raised investment to inspire you to do the same. You'll hear their honest accounts of what it was really like to secure funding, the highs, the lows and the challenges they experienced on the journey. And along the way, we'll discuss top tips for how you can be successful too. Today I'm speaking with Chrissy Smith, the co-founder and creative director of award-winning tea company Bird and Blend. Now Bird and Blend are on a mission to spread happiness and reimagine tea with innovative and exciting flavours. From small beginnings, almost 10 years after they started, they now have a team of over 100 staff, 15 retail stores and a thriving international online business. Chrissy's raised over £1.3 million in investment through crowdfunding over two separate rounds to help grow the brand further. So put the kettle on and make yourself a nice cup of tea and let's learn more about Chrissy's journey, how she found the whole experience of raising investment and what she learned along the way. So hi Chrissy, it's great to see you. Hello, thanks for having me. And we're speaking to you there, I guess you're in your your office or your warehouse where where are you today yeah i am so we moved into a shiny new warehouse in um in the middle of covid actually um so we're still decorating and doing it doing it up in the office spaces because uh, we've only just sort of got back to office life but the the swanky new warehouse has got all sorts of fun things in there I mean you probably wouldn't find it fun but for me it's lots of great <laughs> tea packing machines and loads of space and racking and it was brilliant yeah very excited to move into our new building but yeah it's so lovely to be back in person and yeah we're down on the south coast um in Brighton um so yeah it's sunny at the moment as well which is wonderful lovely, yeah it's a lovely place to be yes so you, so you started Bird and Blend it's quite a while ago now, isn't it? With your co-founder, Mike, mm-hmm. and yes. you met at university. So t- tell us about that kind of what on earth made the pair of you want to start making and selling tea when you were back at uni? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't believe it's been 10 years. In some ways, it feels like only yesterday. And in some some ways, it feels like so much longer. Um, but yeah, we met we met at university. We're flatmates at uni. Um, and um you know, we were really good friends. We were both studying politics, um, philosophy, and Mike was doing uh, economics as well, and I was doing uh, psychology. And um, just got to know each other, and we ended up dating. Um, and I think we both had a similar background in terms of we were quite academic, and we were loving learning at uni, but actually didn't really see ourselves going into a, a typical career in what we were studying I guess there's loads of people that I think have a similar experience with university it's great to go and learn but maybe you don't want to go into politics say um, and we didn't really know what we were going to do so we we took uh, a year out after uni and went out to Canada and um, did a year at ski instructing and while we were out there we were sort of thinking about what our next steps were I think a lot of the pressure from 
outside was sort of, you know, get on a grad scheme in the big city and be a lawyer or a banker or, you know, something like that. Use your fine mind and all that sort of thing. Um, but it just didn't seem to sit right um, with both of us. And we were sort of tinkering around and tried a couple of different business ideas that didn't go anywhere. Um, and finally ended up, I accidentally ended up working for a tea company um, out in Canada to try and pay off my credit card bill that I'd managed to max out from you know skiing and partying and and I absolutely loved it I taught I learned all about blending and the creative side of tea and thought do you know what there's no one in the UK doing this you know we we associate tea with tea rooms and and history and it, it also can be quite a um a premium industry you know where you have to learn quite a lot to get into the you know the ins and outs of how to brew the perfect tea and the origins and single estate like the wine industry really um, and I thought why is nobody doing this sort of blending with flavor first it was quite fun um, very accessible and I thought you know what I think I can do this so I said to Mike I think I found our business idea this one's going to work um, <laughs> I convinced him to move back to the UK for the summer and give it a go so we started going to markets and selling tea that we packed in our bedroom and I learned how to code a website by YouTube and you know it's very small beginnings and it just went really 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 well and a year later we'd opened our first store in Brighton um, and the rest is history really it's just snowballed uh, which is a great situation to be in but sometimes it does feel a little bit like I'm clinging on to a runaway train to be perfectly honest but it's been an adventure it's been a it's been an amazing adventure an adventure that started with an adventure and I think yes yes very inspirational to hear that you know to hear that the, the beginnings of that story and it's so great when when you sort of go out into the world and and bring those innovations back to the UK that's absolutely wonderful because I do remember back 10 years ago there was I mean even six years ago five years ago there was yeah. very going on in this space it was all about coffee yeah absolutely and I think that um especially with like food trends and things and 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 industry trends they they tend they tend to come across you know there'll be something going on in one part of the world and it's not quite hit yet and I think Canada and North America were already experimenting with a lot of their their food their mixology you know that that experience-based uh food element and and I happened to be immersed in that and thought do you know what I think this is coming and then obviously we did do due diligence we we looked at the market and a little bit of luck was in there as well because the green tea and flavored tea sector was growing at that point so we hit it just at the right time um to be a leader in that in that you know and we 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 followed that along and also i hope uh you know contributed to that that market as well mm. um so a little bit of luck but it was a good it was a good business decision i think to 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 pin it on well obviously 10 years later but the <laughs> but your comment about you know, an adventure from an adventure. One of the things I get asked about a lot is, you know, how did you, not just how did you finance your business idea, but, you know, how did you take the first step? Because a lot of people are, you know, that's quite a frightening or quite a, a difficult first step to make. But I think both of us were, you know, we were, we were out there, you know, on an adventure. So we didn't really have a mortgage we had to give up. We didn't have a really high paying job that was paying the bills. We, we, we didn't really. So, we just started from not not really anywhere, which I'm, you know, fortunate. Looking back, I'm fortunate that's the case. And, you know, we didn't spend a lot of money because we didn't have any money. So 
I can see completely see why you know if now you know if, if I was a bit older and I had a you know a really well-paying career and mortgage and kids and stuff it would be a lot more difficult to to maybe take the leap although yeah. there are ways but yeah. yeah it's pros and cons isn't there those people yeah. who start that career it's hard to give that up but on yes. the other hand maybe they have the resources yes to, and that it can be very hard when you're trying to do it really early days out of uni when you don't have a lot of money you haven't got access to capital yeah There's we didn't have anything you know you went down that road of of hustling and and mm-hmm. I mean did you start kind of literally from the kitchen table yeah exactly it was it was literally the kitchen table my you know my mom said to me you can have six months rent free move into the spare bedroom and then you know go and go and get a, a proper job type thing but so it was it was literally there was a little you know uh stainless steel food safe area that the the council had to come around and and give us our food safety permit it was in the corner of our bedroom um you know and all the tea creation and the drinks creation was done in the kitchen on my mum's sideboard and we you know we take this really we brought a clapped out van off ebay for 250 quid it was like a little bedford rascal and we just load it up and, and go and sell tea at markets um at the weekend so yeah and I, I think now looking back I realize that's such a great origin story people are so interested in that by the time we were just we were just trying to you know do something um so yeah we learned we learned as we went along absolutely and but that kind of grew up that grassroots marketing that you do is also so invaluable isn't it so, yeah understanding your customer absolutely. testing out your product seeing what works and I think there's a danger sometimes for people who kind of go out and raise investment really early on before they've done that you know the te- it's dangerous it really is and looking back on it that that contact with the customers you know for the first three years of our business Mike and I had constant contact with our customers we were answering the phone we were on the social media we were stood behind the market stall when we first opened our first store we we worked the shop floor for the first six months and that was a little bit from my point of view because I'm a bit of a, a you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a control not control freak but I've got really high attention to detail I really want to make sure I get it right so I wanted to be there but in hindsight I learned so much from that instant feedback from the customers I got to know them inside and out and also they become such loyal fans because they were you know going along on the journey with us almost and it was invaluable to building the foundations in the early days um so yeah I'm really very grateful that that we did that it was a great start to the business and I I can remember having a conversation with Mike about a year in when I'd said I think I was being impatient we'd had Brighton open for three months Brighton was our first store um which we managed to open we took a government um a startup loan to to open the Brighton store store number one and uh kit it out from you know it was all recycled materials and stuff we'd found in tips and stuff and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I did the, ele- the, the, I, the like wired in the lighting. I mean, we got it. We very quickly got that fixed, but um, uh, by a certified uh, electrician, but bootstrapped it. But we'd been open about three months and it was going really well. And I can remember going to Mike at that point and saying, we've got this. We've proven the model. Let's go raise money now. Let's go. Let's go raise the money and open, you know, 10 shops and build this new website and, you know, look at all this amazing feedback we've got from the customers look at the money coming in I mean it wasn't loads but it was coming in and then he said to me well you know I think we should perhaps you know model this properly so that we really do understand the 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 ins and outs of what this business is before we go and raise you know big type thing 
um, because you know we don't need to necessarily put ourselves in debt or to give away equity at this point if we can do it ourselves. Um, and again, I'm, I'm quite grateful for that as well that we we decided to do that. Very smart, getting a really good handle on the mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not guess; it's less guesswork when you're scaling. Yeah. But did you think in those early days, did you did you always have those ambitions that the business would be big or did that happen sort of more organically? No. Yeah, we always knew we wanted to have multiple retail spaces. Um, we always knew that we wanted to have a physical space element to our business. So it was never just going to be an online business. It was always going to have some sort of yeah retail space. We also knew that we didn't want to be a wholesale business. So, you know, we turned down pretty much all of the major supermarkets in year by the end of year two who would approach us we didn't want to be account managers you know I mean financial model like that would probably be a much more <laughs> um yeah we'd be making more money yeah. perhaps but that's not that's not what we wanted um we didn't necessarily want to be on every high street it's never been the aim to get it to 400 stores but we wanted to be on enough experience-based sort of high streets that someone could come and visit us without too much of a of a, a journey if they you know because it's all about getting in store and smelling the teas and mm -hmm. having a demo and coming to a workshop and that's what's that's where the the brand comes to life yeah very um, so isn't it? And that, yeah it is I love what you said there about how you turn down the supermarkets I mean who yeah, does that I know <laughs> but you're right it's about we the do. most important thing is building a business that you want yeah not what you think investors want yeah and and I think because the business is born out of the you know in store our teas are on a big wall a uh, bit like a sweet shop and we weigh them out and things they don't really have packaging on them really the the the, the, the team member is the packaging like they they go through that it's, it's a whole experience and we spend a lot of time with our managers and our team in store you know to get them into our way of thinking like it's okay if someone comes in and spends half an hour chatting about all things tea and buys two 20 gram samples that are three pound each that's fine because they're there to have that experience learn about the teas we can convert them later online if that's you know what they want to do or they'll come back and buy a bigger etc um and i think that when it looked we looked at the supermarket it was like well we've learned how to sell this tea and how to talk and make this connection with our customers around education and passion and knowledge yes they taste great but that isn't going to translate as well into a piece of packaging on a supermarket shelf and obviously your prices get squeezed as well. And, you know, you lose as an early business, you know, we were slightly worried about brand reputation and being squeezed on those things. So yeah. I never say never, but we've, we've said no so far. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so that, those early days, so startup loan, great way to get out of the blocks. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's in their first couple of years of business should be looking at that. Um, so great way to get out of the blocks. So, so, um, what point did you think, right, now we're ready to scale and now we need to go out and get some rocket fuel, some investment to take this to the next level? Yeah, great question. So we managed to bootstrap everything. We had £5,000 savings to start the business. We took the startup loan to open the Brighton store. Um, and then, uh, which we opened in 2014. And then we were able to organically grow off the profits of the, on, of the, it was still a very small scale. You know, Mike and I weren't taking a salary, only had a few team members. You know, we were still packing all the online orders. So we bootstrapped um, and managed to grow the business to three stores. So we had Brighton, Bristol and Tunbridge Wells. 
So we opened Tunbridge Wells so that we could test having two stores. So it was near near enough we could drive between within you know half an hour. Um, and then we opened Bristol because we wanted a store far enough away that we could again test what it was like to have a store that we couldn't visit you know and, and fix something and have a remote team so we got to the, those uh, four sto uh, three stores and we thought this is going really well we think we're pretty confident now what the business looks like in terms of these the, the store locations and, and the management you know at a small team in our warehouse then we think we now are stable enough and at a good enough place to take this to we wanted to open four new stores, including London and a team exology school. Um, we thought we had the model and we're like, let's just raise the money. If we raise the money, it should just be a bit like a, you know, a slot machine type thing. Money goes in, models built, money comes out. Um, and that's what we did. So it was when we, we thought we had enough of an understanding and a solid foundation to grow it. Um, and we worked out how much we needed to do that. Um, and then we went for it. Um, yeah. you, went, you decided to crowdfund. crowdfund. Your target, um, I think I'm right in saying it was 160K. Yes, it was. And, and quite frankly, you smashed that. Well, yeah, we did. <laughs> in 2017. So t tell us about the experience of crowdfunding back then. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a, a really, really fun and, you know, yeah, it was a really fun time, actually. You know, I got the chance to run basically a marketing campaign for funding, for crowdfunding. Um, and Mike got, Mike's got a really, really strong financial background, you know, or, or interest, not background, interest in finance. He got to take a, take the business through this, you know, this, uh, this raise. And as individuals, as business owners, we found that such a great year to be in business we were learning loads it was really invigorating we had a very small team at the time so everything was still really quick and we were sort of jumping on it and and everyone was really really engaged with it um in internally we chose crowdfunding because we wanted to capitalize on the fact that we knew we had this really active fan base um, we have a great product we had a proven model and we had a really 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 active loyal a fan base that wanted to help us grow so we thought crowdfunding is great because we'll have you know a hundred brand advocates overnight that have turned into actually they actually own a piece of the business so when they're telling their friends you know there's this great tea company that I met at market at the weekend they'll be saying I own a piece of this great tea company so marketing I'm a marketeer so marketing wise it's it's it's, it's the best way of raising money um mm. that you can think of um and point, yeah in terms of you know knowing that you've got that kind of engaged customer base mm. do you remember I know it's a while ago but a sense for kind of how big your customer base or your social media following was at the time because I know lots of people yeah. listening to this would be thinking how do I know if my mm. customer base is big enough or is of, of the right quality because again they need to have a certain level of affluence to be able to invest yes. in right that's a good question. So it wasn't huge, um, you know, certainly less than 10,000 people on our database across, you know, social followers and email database and things like that. Um, it wasn't it wasn't massive, um, although I do appreciate that's probably that could be quite large for, for some people listening, but it wasn't, you know, hundreds of thousands. Um, I remember. We worked back from. 
how many we, we went to the target of our, our original target and, we, and we, we said how many people would have to invest 10 pounds for us to achieve this how many people would have to invest 50 pounds for us to achieve this and that's how we worked out you know whether or not we thought it was uh, you know possible and I think we broke it down into sort of 100 people would need to invest a hundred pounds, you know, we need 20 people to invest 10,000 pounds and, you know, the rest can be 10 pounds, you know, donations. We were fairly confident that the, you know, we looked at the conversion rates as well of like when we put out marketing and campaigns on products, you know, when we, when we launch a product that's around 10 pounds or whatever, you know, how many people actually buy that from us are excited about that consistently or engaged with our product launches because really it was a product launch, really. We were launching a piece of better blend to buy and we knew what our conversion rate was like there and we knew what our engagement was. So we were fairly confident that we could tempt them with some ownership. And we did like perks as well. You know, they could get a free drink in store and they get to come into the, the meetup. And so there are ways of, of offering value added with crowdfunding. So the, the, the person investing gets more than just the equity. They, they maybe get a free product or they get, you know something else as well um was that was that first round did you just do that with your customers or did you have a lead investor on that on that one we did have so we did some warm-up yeah we had um we had a couple of investors um they, they recommend on crowdfunding that you get uh, 30 30 of your target secured before you go live um not only is that really helpful for you to keep your target um to have those people in, in, in involved but Often with crowdfunding, if you, you know, those people, if you've agreed those deals um, off platform, um, you also get a better, usually get a better rate as well, because you have to pay the fees on the on the platform. So that's helpful. It also works to tick the dial up. So if you've got, say, you're trying to raise, you know, say you've got a third already agreed, the, the moment it goes live on the crowdfunding platform, your ticker goes up to a third. So anyone else looking at it will be like, oh, that many people have already invested. You know, it's, it's already going and that, that that generates buzz and excitement and also uh, authenticity of sort of like, you know, other people are trusting in this. So I should also join join in. So it creates momentum as well. So we had um, we had about five between five and ten of various amounts. Uh, sort of lined up beforehand and myself and Mike had done a month of relationship building on that you know calling everyone in our you know across our contacts our networks uh, friends of the business friends of family anyone that knew anyone that might be interested we did you know calls and we went and met up with people and we you know took the time to explain why it was a great investment would they consider getting on board you know educated them about crowdfunding as well quite a lot because quite a lot of people don't know what crowdfunding is um and for about a month in advance and then when we went live you get a month on the platform and if you don't you know if you don't raise within a month you 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 don't get the money so I I had a whole marketing campaign of a a month's worth of you know messaging in the middle to go out that said you know oh we're halfway there like please please come and invest and um we went live and it it overfunded within 24 hours so we didn't get a chance to go out with any of the marketing you know I, I was worried that we were going to get to day 29 and having to be emailing everyone like please please invest you know but we didn't get a chance and and so to answer your original question sorry um we had intended for it to be you know key pre-warmed up investors first then our community which were the sort of uh 10 pounds 50 pounds 100 pounds 
So lots of people, but smaller amounts. And then we were intending to top it up and hit target with the crowd community. So that's the people that are searching on platforms like Crowdcube, looking for investment opportunities. And we knew we would be significantly less interesting to them because although our financials were great, you know, we, they don't know us and they're also not our target market. You know, our, our market's predominantly um, uh, female for a start and uh, a little bit older, whereas Crowdcube's platform tends to be a little bit more male, some females in there as well, obviously, and, and a bit younger. So we knew that our marketing to those people would, would be more, would be more difficult to do. Um, but like I said, we didn't even, we didn't even get a chance to go onto the crowd because it, our community sold it out within 24 hours. We were the fastest raised people on the, on the platform that year. And we won, uh, fund, we won fund, I think it was called entrepreneur of the year at the fundraising crowdfunding awards that year as well. Amazing. Um, your, customers, was your customers really surprised you then. We had no idea it was going to go that well. It was, yeah. it was a crazy time. Yeah. That's great news. So that was back in 2017. Yes. And that enabled you to open up some new stores and continue yes. to grow the brand. Um, and you didn't then raise again until, um, when was the next raise? Was Last it 2021? So what yeah. happened in the interim? How did things go? How did things go during the pandemic? Let me... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do you know what? I get a lot of feedback um, externally that, you know, it's great. I, I do, you know, I'm very honest and I give a realistic view but sometimes Mike my business partner is sort of like Chrissy can you not be quite so honest but like the the honest the honest reality of that is that um you know coming out of crowdfunding it was a massive high we'd raised this money we set about our our aims and what happened was yes we did get those stores open yes we got the new uh you know systems and bits and pieces in place that we wanted to um you know riding this big high of spending this money grow grew but very quickly going into 18 2018 we realized that there were lots of things that had impacted the business that we hadn't thought of from growing that large for example we hadn't considered things like the fact that holding stock for double the amount of stores was going to be a potentially a cash flow problem the fact we'd have to recruit and train all those people and the HR needs for that wasn't factored in so although we did have a great financial model we hadn't thought properly or we hadn't anticipated the impact on the actual day-to-day operations you know we grew the business really successfully and the customers probably wouldn't notice because you know we made sure that the service was next level but behind the scenes we were like a swan like our legs were like you know stay afloat stay afloat stay afloat um trying to backfill the processes and the procedures and the systems that you need to be that big of a business um so we spent nearly the whole of 2018 uh relaying the foundations we called it back to basics here um that went really really well came into 2019 uh, just finished off a few bits, opened four more stores in 2019, which was brilliant. And then we were just about ready to raise again and COVID hit. So we were ready to raise at the end of 2019, pretty much. Uh, so we were going to do that in spring 2020. And then you, we all know what happened in spring 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but some so, people yeah. still went ahead and, and yeah. did raises. Others decided to lay low. We did think about it um but to be honest with you to be brutally honest um our you know our e-com our online you know catapulted overnight 
um, which is brilliant. Um, and the stores all had to be closed. So we had half of our business and half of our employees working the hardest they've ever had to work. Sorry, that's my, my thing. Um, like working the hardest they've ever had to work. And then the other half of our business furloughed. So it was one we didn't need we didn't necessarily need to raise because we wouldn't have been able to have done anything with the, the money because we were you know working on keeping our business happy and these you know balancing these two different needs um but also that you know the econ was going so well at the time that you know fortunately we actually managed to open two more stores in covid which i know is a strange concept but um, we took the opportunity while, you know, the money was coming in heavily on, on online, you know, there's a lot less overheads for online um, to, and a lot of businesses, unfortunately, you know, went under. So we thought, you know what, there's quite a lot of units coming up at the moment. Are we mad enough to secure some shop sites when literally we, the high street is closed and, you know, we, we thought in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> Um, and we, but yeah, we opened two new stores. Um, obviously, we didn't open them to the public because we couldn't, but we managed to get a couple of really good deals on the high street um, that we wouldn't have been able to have had. So silver lining, I guess, to COVID. Mm. Not to downplay how difficult it has been, but there have been plenty of opportunities. And I think I was speaking to someone the other day about this when they said, you know, you must have had a really challenging year. And I thought there isn't a single year that goes by that's not, a challenge if you're trying to grow a business or a single month probably but I think the difference is that you know when you're trying to uh, you know grow a business is that you're looking for opportunities all the time and you've got to be resilient so you know we were resilient the team were resilient we got through and when we got the opportunity you know little opportunities we took them um, and then as soon as we found felt like it was safe enough after COVID, like settled enough, we immediately hit go on the crowdfund. Mm. So you were already, so you're all kind of ready behind the scenes to go with it. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's interesting what you say about kind of resilience and spotting opportunities, but it's also knowing, having the, having the, uh, excuse my language, but balls, I don't know what <laughs> equivalent is to that. I'd love to know if anybody could tell me what the, qu- <laughs> the balls is. I would also like to know. So please pass that on. <laughs> the balls to kind of go we're taking a punt on that yeah. because nobody knew what was going to be no. going on we'd be shutting down again opening up again so you know clearly you've got to be able to take some risks there calculated risks but that was a leap of faith that you took and obviously it's, yeah uh, it was a leap of faith I think that in that scenario in particular although you know I'm a massive advocate for, for retail you know and it was always a big part of what we wanted to do you know, people in the, people when we started said, "Don't open stores. Why are you open stores? The high street's dying." This was ten years ago, um, and I I did think, "Gosh, maybe maybe our high streets aren't going to look the same on the other side of COVID." And you know, everyone was shopping online, and I I and me myself, I I went to you know my local butcher, and I was doing things I'd never done before, but I still passionately believe that there will the need for spaces for people to for humans to hang out in and spend time with others physical spaces I just don't think is going anywhere like fair enough maybe the traditional high street may be going or changing but that that need to go and do something fun to meet others to experience life and products and things like that we that's exactly what you do in one of our stores so I was confident that 
this sort of retail 2.0 shall we call it <laughs> experience hubs type idea we you know we 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 stand ourselves in good stead for that mm. um but in terms of taking risks in general i think yeah I, I, again i think when it comes to growing a business and, and spending money and making risks you you do get to a point a little bit when you think to yourself you've got to back yourself you know we're already we already had uh, you know 12 stores at that point if our retail was going to go down if the retail was going to die we were already 12 stores you know in trouble what what's the difference it was almost like what's the difference 15 gonna make you know but the payoff would have been and has been exponentially better so sometimes with risk it's kind of how big is the risk and how likely is it to happen type thing versus what is the opportunity here sometimes you just have to do it I think before we talk about your last crowdfund let's just um touch quickly on branding because I know that you've had a sort of a little hiccup along the way, or maybe it was a big hiccup, I don't know, where you had to change the, the branding. Yeah. yeah, so actually that was as a result of crowdfunding. And that's something that we, you know, a lesson we've had to learn. We went from being this sort of startup, this sort of, uh, you know, gritty, you know, fly by the seat of our pants startup business, which, you know, we didn't double check everything. You don't in the early days, you know, you, 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 try and muddle your way through and not break any laws is the number one rule but you know you do end up doing things you're not quite supposed to do like occasionally we had the wrong thing printed on our packaging or you know we used a name uh you know I, I once we named a tea that had a name in it that you know uh, I can't remember who it was I think it was C.S. Lewis we had contact us and say excuse me that's a phrase from one of my book from the, one of the books and we sent them some tea and apologized but you know in the early days you you, you don't check everything and we but when we raised and we got you know all that press and we took on that money it it makes you grow up you have to sort of grow up as a business and 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 that's when it was pointed out to us that actually we didn't have a strong enough case for the for the ownership of our name which was bluebird at the time um i think we took some advice on it in the early days thought it was fine it was actually trademarks and things but it wasn't quite registered in the right category and I think when we took some advice on it, it was like, well, it might stand up in court. It might not. Um, we're not sure, you know, and when so when we got challenged on the name by a different company, um, they were a much bigger company and they'd seen us through crowdfunding. They'd seen we were opening stores in London where they were based. They'd seen that we'd you know, all of a sudden we're on their radar. We're not this little tea shop in Brighton. We're this brand that's raising money and going into London. And we, you know, we got this challenge and, and it was really difficult for me because I'm, you know, I'm very much the stand up for what you think is right. And, you know, that sort of David and Goliath thing. I hate it when I hate that sort of thing. It's like bullying in the playground. But, and I hated the idea that potentially we could be in the right, but that we, you know, we'd have to take the, I had to have a very stern word with myself because by this point we were 60 people in the business. And I'm like, am I really going to risk, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds potentially and resources that we do not have on fighting this when actually we could just accept it, you know, move on and be in a really positive place in six months time versus, you know, going to court and all of that. And I had to learn a lesson of what was what I wanted to do perhaps was not necessarily the right thing for the business. Mm, great that you took that, that breath, took that step back. Yeah. Actually, in my view, I mean, Bird and Blend is a fabulous 
background. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, it was great. When you look back now, do you, do you are you happy now? Do you look back and, and think? Yeah, that? I mean, I was super attached to to Bluebird because it had come from the you know the origin of being in the Canadian mountains and things, but. And we'd done so much work. It was on all of our packaging. We had great SEO. Um, we'd build up all these social followings. And I was like, oh, you know, this is this is going to be devastating. Our customers are going to be gutted and they're not going to know who we are. And they're going to think we've sold the business. But do you know what? They just said, they just, the, the general consensus was just, oh, have you have you changed team? No. Uh, changed management? No. Have you changed the T? No. Well, we don't really care what you're called. <laughs> nobody cares about it quite as much as you yeah. that's the truth of it isn't it yeah but it's it's an interesting lesson to learn and I think I've seen this happen a number of times with startups sometimes they're quite early on in their journey sometimes it's a bit later and it's one of those areas where you know the more you can kind of check at the beginning the better but you know what you, like yeah. you say you can't you can't check everything it's, it's you really- can't and sometimes it you know, sometimes you have got to you have got to be a little bit ballsy with things, and you've got to move quickly, and you've got to you know you you learn from what your competitors are doing, and you learn you sort of ask for advice from people, and occasionally, you know, you do end up doing things not quite right, but once you've you know found your feet, made some sales, you know, organized yourself a bit more, that's when you can start you know properly belts and braces everything, trying to do everything perfectly to start with is you're never going to get off the ground to be honest impossible no. to get out there. so then another fundraise which was a biggie yeah that one was a big a million, one a million yeah. with 1600 or so yeah my goodness huge yeah I mean we decided to go back to crowdfunding we did explore other options at that point um other um both debt and equity options and fell back on crowdfunding again um which you know, again, very similar model. We made sure we had about 30% committed offline in advance. Um, we reached back out to all our existing investors, ask, asking them to reinvest. Quite a lot of them did, um, you know, and, but we weren't expecting to hit a million and we weren't expecting it to be 1,600 people. Um, that was a little bit mind boggling, to be honest. Um, and we had a lot more from the sort of crowd this time. So a lot more uh, people, we're still loads of customers, but yeah, a, a bigger chunk of people that were interested in the financial investment side. You know, this looks like a great actual investment. And I think that was, you know, the proof was in the pudding. Our accounts were really healthy. We'd had this constant, you know, top line growth. And also we could very, in a very easy way, we could show, look, the people that invested in us in 2017, their shares are now worth this much you know so get on board because that's what we've proven since last time I mean obviously they're not worth anything until somebody you do something with them but in theory you know not only proving traction with the business itself you're proving that you can increase the value of the business which is what investors care about at the end of the day absolutely yeah and I I think also with you know the same the, the crowdfunding just like some other forms of investment you know fundraising it is about it's about how passionate you are about it. It's how you tell the stories, obviously backed up with solid financials if you've got them. And But I mean, even if you're, I mean, our accounts and our financials were really strong, but not everyone's are, especially if you're in early days or if you are, you know, some people, you know, don't have, you know, healthy accounts because they're growing really quickly. As long, you know, as long as you can back up what you're doing and why and you can explain it, you're passionate about it, people invest 
in you and the story really and the potential mm-hmm. I found rather than you know really need to especially on the crowd anyway um yeah so, so being able to demonstrate the potential the profile so. of investors and how that shifts as you move along your own growth journey from the early days where it's you know startup loan and some friends and family who are kind of go on you know go for it mm-hmm. and then you move into the crowdfunding investors where you're selling the the vision and the story and then you're shifting into investors that are properly now looking at the numbers yes the economics of it and yes and it's knowing how to 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 craft that narrative and that story as you move along the journey that's that's a real skill obviously that you have honed along the way I think there's a good partnership in both Mike and myself um you know I'm a marketeer I'm a people person I'm very passionate um but I do know how to run a business and um, Mike on the flip side you know he's very numbers orientated um you know his brain works in that way and uh, I think that the combination works really well to give people confidence um yeah I think that if you didn't have the financial you know side of things the interest in finance you know I would get those solid before you you know try and do any sort of fundraising but the the talking about putting bringing it to life and and the you know this is what it could be like and that sort of thing that's smart is marketing really it's, a, it's about selling yourself so we put that at the forefront and it and it you know it served us well Yes, I don't, I don't want to advocate for not knowing your numbers because <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. No, you, you have to sell the vision and do, the story first, do. and then you need to have the numbers to back Correct. up. You can't yeah, do absolutely. it without the two things. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, amazing success. And I, mean, I just wanted to sort of ask you what, because it, it, you know, for the listener, it might all sound like it was easy breezy, <laughs> all of this. <laughs> what was the hardest thing about? raising those those Mm. funds I mean that could be either your first raise or the the more recent one what was Mm. the challenging thing I mean at the time I might have said that you know the attention we got from this sort of um the 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 trademark dispute and the name change but actually looking back on that I'm really grateful we did that so I I think the tricky thing was I mean it was a lot of work to get it done you know you have to put in the hours and both times especially this time you know we were warming up and having conversations with hundreds of people um so you know a lot of hours went into that um and people talking about investing quite big chunks of money you know not not just you know 10 pounds here or there like it's quite significant some of the investments we got this time around from individuals so you know they're really interviewing you and digging deep and challenging you on you know well what what are you going to do with this and what about that and you're getting grilled you know and it is a lot of work that and it was quite challenging to go through that process whilst also operating a business because you know the business can't stop having leadership um and you know we're still in a phase where mike and i are quite actively involved in the business day to day so you know, we, we couldn't just stop on nine till five to do that work. So that was quite challenging. Um, but, you know, like anything that's worth it, you know, you have got a hard graft. Um, but un, un, undoubtedly the biggest challenge of the whole of the history of the business for me, um, out of everything, it was the, the shock to the system that came after raising that first time and the, the, the sort of mayhem we were thrown into from not considering the, the wider impact of growing that quickly. <laughs> 
Yeah, growing pains. And it think, was and growing I, pains, yeah. And I don't know whether, you know, I think it can be quite hard sometimes when you've done it through a crowdfund. And it, I don't know how you have your structure, whether you have a board or anything like that. But when you've got crowdfunding investors, they, they are quite arm's length. And just because mm. you've got all of those hundreds of investors, mm. they're not actually around to support you in the growth. So it's still you yeah. that's doing it. And yeah. suddenly, as you say, you're making that transition from being a founder Mm -hmm. being a CEO and all the all the the stuff that comes with that I mean it's yeah it has been tricky I think that was one of the pros that we thought we thought oh you know with crowdfunding like you said when we if we still want to you know we're committed to getting them a return on their investment and we will do that but if we want you know if I want to I don't know open a matcher bar or something you know this this month because I think it'd be brilliant branding and it'd be a great opportunity and you know etc etc I can probably I can still do that I've still got the freedom to do that um whereas if you have other type of investment you you'd be restricted potentially of what well is that what is that adding to the bottom line you know and we didn't want that sort of control however the downside like you said is that Mike and I don't get held to account on a day-to-day -day basis which so it means we have to hold ourselves to account which we do but that can be tricky and also the you know the things that you do get from say an angel investor or, or private equity sometimes even is they do help you with the growth they can help as a mentor or, or sitting on your board or they open up connections for you know um, recruitment and, and, and they bring their knowledge and they bring their sort of more grown-up you know guidance and yeah sometimes I, I think oh that would be quite helpful actually <laughs> mind you there, yeah. are, there are other ways of getting that support. there are yeah there are yeah correct that's, that's correct yes how you decide to structure your board or whatever yes all, absolutely. All, again, part of the growing pains of scaling a business absolutely <laughs> so you've done this raise which is fabulous and we're into 2022 now so what's what's next for you guys more stores international expansion what can we expect to see from bird and blend yeah we are we are going to open some more stores um we just the most recent round of stores that we've just opened um which we use some of this money for uh, a little bit of the money for was um we tried out a slightly different uh profile for the store so slightly more high street not completely high but higher footfall more prominent cities um, and that's going really really well so we'll probably do a few more of them um and we're going to continue investing it's boring but we've just invested in a big new systems deck for tax uh, tech stack sorry for you know our online fulfillment and how we do our stock and all of that sort of thing because we've outgrown the spread we were literally still running on spreadsheets this time last year so we've we've outgrown that now so we've invested in that and the big chunk of the money is also going in into our um ethics and sustainability so we've just we've just just going through b corp at the moment um which we're really excited about working on a couple of um social and community-based foundational projects as well and a couple of sustainability projects that we really want to um get sorted uh, well get get kicked off so my, mike and i have always tried to do business in a good way you know, the, the packaging's always, 99% of the packaging's been biodegradable since day one. And, you know, we, we, we've always tried to treat people fairly and ethical and, you know, we're a fantastic place to work, but the raising of this money has meant that rather than just, you know, doing business in a good way, we're hoping to be able to uh, cause some good in the world around us. So I'm really excited, as is Mike, that we get to, you know, 
do that that was part of the mission statement when we started a business was to you know to prove you could build a business in this way that puts people first and does good and is profitable and makes money and can you know raise investment and we've done that and now it's okay right how can we use our reach you know and our resources to actually make a difference out there in our supply chain in our community you know with our team and so yeah that sounds a bit hippie-ish but that's what I'm really excited about so no, but it's not and I think those ambitions are, are shared by many founders and I think that's the way it, you know we need to be doing business and 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 investors are looking for that too you know they, they want to make Absolutely. sure that the yeah. businesses they back are making a difference so mm-hmm. well, congratulations and um Thank you. you go and visit a bird and blend store near you if you can't yeah, please do online <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Chrissy, and uh, look forward to following your continued success. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for following Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. This content is all provided to you for free. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so you never miss another one. Enter the Arena has helped hundreds of female founders fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business. Our first-hand experience expert guidance and proven programs help female founders unleash the Wonder Woman inside. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheArena.co.uk. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.